Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, December 20th, 2010. My last day in studio until Tuesday of next week. Yeah, taking just a smidge of time off. Recharge my batteries, spend some time with the family for Christmas. Uh, I think everybody needs a little downtime every now and then. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. Now, to lead off the program today, last week, uh, one of you all had emailed me and said that fighting for the faith needed a warning, you know, some kind of a, a warning at the beginning of it, or, you know, in part of the program, to warn people operating heavy machinery that this could be dangerous. And I put it out to you, the listeners, that to... um if you wanted to record, you know, a, a warning that uh, that I would put it in rotation here at Fighting for the Faith, and uh, one of you has already responded. It, it happened rather quickly. Uh, Melba Sabril, uh, she's a friend of mine on Facebook and a listener for quite a long time, and she's actually done some other comedy sketches in the past here at Fighting for the Faith. She has uh, put together a Fighting for the Faith warning label. Uh, well, uh, intro segment, and we will be putting this into regular rotation, but I wanted to preview it here at the top of the program, you know, and I think it's important because, you know, if you, when you listen to this program, this is, this is a dangerous, dangerous program. So, uh, here's, uh, the, uh, one, one of the new fighting for the faith warning, uh, intros. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Well, (laughs) 
that is brilliant. Abs- uh, I, I that list of medical conditions, spewment disorder and cranial keyboard embedment syndrome. Oh man, Melba, um, you are a genius. Thank you very much. I am very happy and very proud to. Uh, Put that warning into the rotation here at Fighting for the Faith. Oh, my goodness. That is so, so funny. <sighs> if you would like to, uh, you know, add your own version of, you know, of a Fighting for the Faith warning, uh, just, you know, you can create it, uh, you know, on your computer. Uh, send it and uh, and attach the MP3 file and send it to talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. I'd love to uh, hear your your crack at this. Uh, don't let don't let the fact that Melba's is so, um, well, f- brilliantly funny, intimidate you. Yeah, just because the you know first one out of the shoot is is brilliant. Don't 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 let, don't let that dissuade you. I look forward to hearing from more of you listeners out there as uh, as you put together you know, potentially some more Fighting for the Faith warning uh, intro. So there you have it, warning, Fighting for the Faith. It could be dangerous while playing Farmville. <clears throat> I don't know where you got that idea from, Melba. Yeah, I have no idea where you got that idea from. All right, let's, um, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, today is kind of, uh, well, how do I put this? Uh, today is a day where I want to address address some controversy. It's uh, my last program before Christmas, and I wanted to make sure that uh, some of the things that are out there floating around about me, well, that I that I take a crack at them, at least address them, so that you all can uh, you know hear from my mouth. You know what? You know what's my take on the controversy regarding me? I I tend to be a controversial figure, and it's not that I try to be controversial. I don't really seek controversy for the sake of controversy. I don't think that really helps anybody. And uh, instead, my in, my goal is to basically protect, uh, pro- uh, well, def- protect, protect, defend, proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins and sound biblical doctrine. And as a result of that, when you take an affirmative position or a negative position on a particular topic, there's always going to be people who disagree with you. And then sometimes there's controversy that's caused as a result of me not quite explaining what I mean, and sometimes people taking, you know, part of, you know, taking what I said and, um, well, um, not exactly, um, well, not properly interpreting what I said because I left you know, enough room in the interpretation that you can drive a Mack truck through it. Case in point, if I could, uh, recently, in fact, over the weekend, um, one gal wrote a, a blog post and uh, she was responding to something I said in an interview that I did on the Something Beautiful podcast. And I, I appeared on the Something Beautiful podcast, and the um, and the 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 uh, interview itself was recorded probably three four weeks ago, and so it was uh, recorded during Kimblegate. That was the uh, and so even though it was just recently released. And uh, something I said in uh, in my interview with uh, you know with uh, Mamone uh, got uh, Travis Mamone got misinterpreted by somebody, and I wanted to clear the air so that uh, you know, people don't think uh, the wrong things. But anyway, the name of the blog post is uh, Chris Rosebro disses James White and Robert Singenis, and uh, 
during the Something Beautiful podcast, uh, I was uh, being questioned about my debate with Doug Paget, and uh, and I took the opportunity to explain how our debate we tried to do it differently than the debate the the debate that was the night before ours, which was between. Uh, Robertson Jenis and James White on the Doctrine of Purgatory. What I said, here's here's what I said. I said, Doug and I attended the debate the night before ours, and that was on the Doctrine of Purgatory, and we didn't particularly feel that the tone of the debate style was very redeeming. So we tried to find a way to make our debate more of a respectful conversation between two people who had very differing views rather than two guys pretending to be attorneys who had never been to law school trying to out-attorney each other because that just would have been an abomination. So I think we pulled it off. I think we succeeded. Now, I think in grammar they talk about dangling participles, you know, and you got to make sure that you don't have any dangling participles because otherwise you create some vagaries in in your communication. Unfortunately, I created some vagaries in my communication here, and uh, this one person well took what I said in completely the wrong way in which I uh, intended it to be understood. And uh, I was not dissing uh, James White. In fact, um, you know, hang on a second here. I sent off an email uh, this morning to the uh, person who runs the blog in order to uh, clear up things <clears throat> because I thought it was uh, important to you know set the record straight. Well, for, you know, for one thing, I have the deepest respect for uh, for James White and his uh, ministry. Anyway, I said, here's what I said. I said, the comment that I made on the Something Beautiful podcast was not a diss against James White. If you had heard the purgatory debate, then you'd know that the tone of the debate was set by Robert Singenis, and that Bob's cross-examinations were particularly tedious in their delivery and content. Dr. White did a fantastic job of answering Robert's questions and solidly refuting Robert's arguments. But over and again, Syngenis kept belaboring the same tired point that he was trying and failing to make from one and only one passage of Scripture. As a result, the debate dragged at times, and I felt like it, it felt and it felt like a really poorly acted courtroom drama. Drama as Syngenis asked the same question a hundred different nuanced ways. And in an effort to make the biblical text say something that it just doesn't say. Even Dr. White appeared and sounded frustrated by Syngenesis' tactic. This is what I was referring to in my podcast interview with Travis Mamone on Something Beautiful. I was not dissing uh, Bob Syngenesis. And in fact, you know, let me take another crack at this also. Uh, the part where uh, you know, I said that uh, we didn't want to ha- make it appear like two guys who had never been to, you know, be attorneys who had never been to law school trying to out-attorney each other, that's specifically about the fact that neither Doug and I are really debaters. Uh, he's he's an emergent pastor and a radio personality. I'm a radio guy, and I'm, I the, the reality is, is I'm not much of a debater. And neither is Doug, and so we didn't want to. You know, we we saw what they did, and we saw the tone that Robert Singenis took, and we knew that the you know if that's first of all, it's not us. Secondly, we're not. That's we're neither of us are trained to argue and debate in that manner, and so as a result of it, it would have really, really, really not been a good thing if we had 
um, tried to, to go that route, and that's why we took the route that we took. But it was not a diss against James White at all. James did a fantastic job, really, you know, given the format and given given the the tactic that uh, was being employed by uh, Robertson Jenis during the debate. It was it was difficult to listen to and tedious at times. And uh, I think if you go back, those of you who uh, listen to uh, James White's uh, radio program, and if you've heard the debate, listen to the cross-examination sections, and I think you'll see what I'm saying. It, it was It's not a diss against James White. It's just a, a, that's my observation on the tone of the debate. And that tone was not set by James White. It was clearly set by Bob Sengenis. So this uh, blog, uh, this blog post has gotten a little bit of uh, you know action out there. But the problem is, is that it's it's miscommunicated uh, my position and uh, said something. You know, basically made it made me say something I didn't say, and that was is that I was somehow insulting uh, Dr. White. In fact, I would not want to do that with Dr. White. I have the deepest respect for him. I, you know, professionally, I think the guy is spectacular, and he does a he does a great job as a Christian apologist. And I have no beef with uh, James White at all. So, I just wanted to clear the record there. Now, um, let's see. Moving along, let's talk about what we're going to talk about for the rest of the program today. Um, I'm well, I want to get to an email uh, and talk about the uh, controversy that has. Well, the fewer that has erupted in the outlaw preacher camp as a result of last week's podcast entitled Gay and Christian. And I want to address that topic and, uh, and, you know, and, you know, basically take a look at what the fewer is about. And I want to challenge uh, the outlaw preachers. And, uh, and so I will get to that today. Uh, we've got uh, a segment from the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, uh, it, and it's a classic. It's it's you know unfortunately William Tapley he hasn't updated his video podcast since December eighth, and as a result of it, I we we wouldn't have been able to have a William Tapley segment if I didn't find a good, well classic William Tapley. Uh, video blog in order to share with you. And so we've got that today. I've got a little Patricia King that I want to talk to you about or share with you. And then our sermon review today uh, in hour number two is, um, well, it's a sermon on the uh, the movie Elf. You know, I, I thought, you know, since, you know, it's, I'm, you know, I'm going to be out of studio until after Christmas. I didn't want you to, you know, not hear a, a Christmas sermon and <laughs> I think it's from Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. I have no idea how this one ends. And so I previewed it and thought, you know, okay, this, this, I'll put this into the rotation today. Uh, but uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to end on a gospel note. I have no idea where we're going with it. But it's a, it's a sermon supposedly loosely kind of sort of based on the Bible and the movie Elf. Yeah. Um. So, have I mentioned that we have a warning? You know, I, I we do. Warning: Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities: operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. 
drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinonasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Moving along. All right, I got two emails that I want to address and answer in regard to last week's episode of Fighting for the Faith entitled Gay and Christian. During that segment, I took a look at and listened to uh, the arguments being put forward by one of the major leaders of the Gay Christian Network and basically said that this is not what the Bible teaches and gave a biblical, basically a big, biblical argument based upon the book of Romans and Jude that uh, that the biblical prohibitions against homosexuality do in fact apply to monogamous same-sex attraction. And, uh, and so uh, that has created a furor uh, among the outlaw preachers. Some of the outlaw preachers feel that I have spat in their face. Many of them are up in arms, and they're upset at the, uh, the tack that I've taken. Now, the first, uh, the first one uh, comes to me uh, from Jeff, and I'm not sure what town Jeff is from. However, Jeff just wrote me a quick email, and it reads—it doesn't even say Chris. It just says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, see God in the other, and you will see reality. Then come, follow me. Apparently, this is a quote from the Bible. Uh, you heard a ton of outlaw preacher folks, me included, with this podcast. And so, um, yeah, Jeff, here's here's what I want to point out to you. Okay, And this kind of goes to my challenge to the outlaw preachers. I appreciate— very much the fact that the outlaw preachers invited me to their reunion and um and what i said on the air last week is the position that i main, have maintained really for practically my entire adult life and the reason why i maintain the position that i do is because i believe that's what the bible teaches and if you go back and you listen to the podcast as strongly and as vehemently as you disagree with the tack that i've taken and with the with the position that i'm taken that i've taken the position that i've taken is a principled position based upon what the biblical text says plain and simple. That being said, Jeff, I need to to point this out to you. Your email has this quote, Jesus looked at him and loved him, quote, one thing you lack, see God in the other and you will see reality, then come follow me. This is not a biblical passage, um, Jeff. I don't know where you got this from, but that's not in the scriptures, nor is that even what that passage is really saying. This is, you know, this, uh, Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is talking about the rich young ruler. Jesus never said that we have to see God in the other and then we'll see reality. That's not a biblical teaching at all. So what I would basically challenge the outlaw preachers at this point is, is that I understand that you disagree with the position that I've taken. But really what it comes down to is this, is that many folks uh, that are all up in arms and very upset are basically treating me and making the accusation that I'm somehow a hate monger, that what I am saying is 
hateful and unloving and unkind. Nothing could be further from the truth. The question that needs to be answered, the question that needs to be answered is what does God command us to do and what does what is God revealed in his word as to how we are to love our neighbors who are homosexual, who have same-sex attraction. How are we to love them? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've never met God. I've never met him. I don't have visions of him. I don't ha- I've, he's never showed up at the foot of my bed. He's never invited me to a, a venti mocha over at Starbucks. We've never sat down and had a little tate to tate, a little, you know, n- nothing like that. We, I've never kicked it with Jesus, all right? Having never met God, this is basically what it comes down to. I cannot speak definitively about God and what he what his position is on any topic unless God has revealed it. Unless God has revealed it. And what he has revealed about himself is is found in scripture and it can be trusted and it could be and it should be believed and adhered to. That being the case, I understand that many of you outlaw preachers disagree with the position that I took, but I simply gave a biblical teaching on Jude and the book of Romans chapter 1. You can take my opinions and you can ignore them or believe them or think I'm crazy. That doesn't matter. But what I gave you wasn't my opinion. I gave you a biblical argument and said, this is what God has revealed in his word. Therefore, the the question now is, how are we to love our neighbors who are homosexual? The answer to that question is only going to be found in Scripture. It's not going to be found anywhere else. Nowhere else. There's nowhere else that I can turn to. There's nowhere else that I can turn and say, well, God's position on this is this because I feel this way or because I see God in the other or anything like that. The question comes down to who are you going to trust? The answer is simple. You either believe what God has revealed in his word, or you rail against it. Now, if you think I'm not reading the text properly, then you have an obligation to show me, using your Bibles and using the original languages, which I am very conversant with, to show me that what I said, that the conclusions I drew from those texts are not the correct conclusions, that that's not what the Holy Spirit intended to communicate, and that I'm reading the text wrong. So let me, let me, uh, let me show you, uh, back, let's go back to Jude, and what I'll do is I'm going to read the, the, the important passage, and I want you to hear again the biblical argument. Okay, here we go. Jude, verse 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah 
and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment by fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now I want to point out, verse 7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So here's the idea. Okay, in Jude, Jesus's brother is basically writing under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he makes it clear by way of pointing us back to the Genesis account of Sodom and Gomorrah that they pursued unnatural desire, and they serve as an example of undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Now, the point I was making in that segment was very clear. Contrary to the new arguments being put out by the gay Christian community, that the Bible does not prohibit same-sex monogamous relationships, and that the biblical passages that deal with homosexuality are actually only dealing with homosexual sins, and that not all homosexual uh attraction is sinful you know it's and the the argument as the argument goes homosexual sins include rape homosexual sins include uh you know you know sex with a slave or prostitution that's not the context of this right here okay it said that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah pursued unnatural desire and Jude earlier warned about those who come into the church that turn the grace of Christ into a license for sin. Now, this is what I've said the text says. This is what God has revealed. You don't have to take my word for it, but if you're going to take me on and if you're going to be upset and you're going to ostracize me from future outlaw preacher events and reunions and you're going to give me the cold shoulder and you're going to say that I'm a hate monger, then you who supposedly talk about community and love, don't you have the responsibility to lovingly show me from the biblical text that I'm reading it incorrectly? Show me from the text that my conclusion is wrong. Now, I also gave Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Romans chapter 1, and here's what I Read Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, in by their unrighteousness, suppress or push down the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise, notice the parallelism, gave up natural relations with women, and they were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Plain and simply, I put out a biblical argument saying that the Scriptures, according to Romans chapter 1 and Jude, make it clear that homosexual attraction is not an honorable thing in God's eyes. It is not something that God blesses, and as a result of it, it is not loving our neighbors, our homosexual neighbors, to affirm them in these unnatural passions, in this sexual immorality. It is not loving to do so. Instead, as Christians, we understand that all sins, that includes heterosexual sins, homosexual sins, that includes lying, cheating, stealing, all that kind of stuff, that all sin is a form of slavery. And Christ has not called us to be slaves to sin. He's called to set us free from sin. And that the clarion call of the gospel is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You can disagree with me when I give my opinions, but I didn't give my opinion. I told you what the text says. If you disagree with the text, then you're going to have to start sharpening your pencils and start explaining to me from the biblical texts themselves that what I said is not correct, that my understanding of these texts is in error, and I don't believe they are, and I, don't, and I know because I've read them in the Greek, that it's going to be practically impossible for somebody to make a coherent argument that this is blessing a same-sex attraction, when these both these passages together are clearly condemning it. Therefore, it is safe to conclude, in fact, I am confident based upon what God has revealed in these two passages as well as others, that what it means to love our homosexual neighbors is to call them to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. You may not like what I said, but that's not the question, whether you, whether you liked what I said or not. The question is, is what I'm saying true? That's the only question. Is what I'm saying 
true. Because when, it, when you boil it all down, the gay-affirming outlaw preachers cannot be right at the same time that I'm right. Either one of us is wrong and the other right, or the other is right and the other is wrong, or we're both wrong. But there's no way that we're both right. What does the text say? What has God revealed? Who is telling the truth? That has to be the primary primary question that needs to be answered. And I say, look at the text. Look at the text. The text is not vague. The text is not unclear. The text is very, very clear. And there's other clear passages. Never once in Scripture is homosexual homosexual behavior of any kind ever blessed by God. It is always condemned. And in both Romans and Jude, it is condemned not just on the action level, it is also condemned down to the lustful passion level, down to the attraction level. That being the case, God doesn't bless homosexual relationships. He doesn't. It's sinfulness. It is absolutely sinfulness. And it does matter. It does matter. Let me read for you two sections of the, go- of the not the gospel, but the epistle of 1 John. I want to read to you two sections. Unfortunately, I don't have time to read the entire epistle, but I want to read to you two sections. 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his words are not in us. Let me read a little bit more. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we guard and keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not guard and keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever guards his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay, Chapter 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on practicing sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteousness righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. My challenge to you outlaw preachers is this. Show me from the clear teaching of the word that God affirms homosexuality. Don't tell me that, oh, I've been to their church and you've got to see Jesus in them. That's not an argument. That's the exa- In fact, that's the exact same tactic that the Mormons use. Yeah, the Mormons, you ever, ever meet with a Mormon and then you ask them, well, how do you know the Book of Mormon is true? They'll say, oh, I bury you my testimony, you know. That uh, I, you know, I've read the Book of Mormon and I've had a burning in my bosom telling me of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. Well, there isn't a shred of archaeological evidence to support the claims of the Book of Mormon at all. And so, how do you know the Book of Mormon is true? You're supposed to have some kind of a burning in your bosom to tell you. That's pure subjectivity. The same applies here. The folks that I talked with, some of the folks that I talked with at the Outlaw Preacher reunion, one in particular comes to mind. She looked me straight in the face, and her nose couldn't have been more than an inch away from mine when she said it. I have seen the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. I know that God affirms them. No, that's the same argument that the Mormons use for confirming the Book of Mormon. It's pure subjectivity. No, your experiences and your feelings do not get to be elevated to the point of overthrowing what God has clearly said in his word. You can disagree with me, but you can't disagree with God's word. So get back to the text, sharpen your pencils, pull out your Greek grammars and your Greek Uh, lexicons, and start working with the text, because the reading I've given on the text is the same interpretation that the church has had from the beginning. If you're not familiar with the writings of the church fathers, the church fathers, especially Clement, even argued this way. That being the case, biblically what it means to love our homosexual neighbors is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and to call them out of this sin. To say that God affirms it is a form of lawlessness, the very form of lawlessness that John the Apostle, the beloved one who rested on the breast of Jesus, that's that disciple, this is the very thing that he warns against in his own epistle. It does matter. It absolutely does matter. What it means biblically to love our homosexual neighbors is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins regarding their unnatural passions, desires, attractions, and behaviors. They are contrary to the revealed will of God. All right, we are up on our first break. Today's program is going to be a little off on the timing, so I warn you about that ahead of time. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! Supposed to experience the presence of God if you are using a jackhammer. Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry. Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, no, no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas... Hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? 
Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time! I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something! If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way! Just open the Bible and read it! Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. (laughs) And just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. Warning, I don't preach my opinions here. I try to stick to the text. If you disagree with the way I'm reading the text, you have to marshal a biblical argument. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, and partnership with us in order to continue doing what we do here at Fighting for the Faith. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to partner with us with, you can do so. Click on the donate button. It allows you to specify the amount or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. As we approach uh, the year end in the holiday season, you know, Christmas and New Year's, and you're considering your year end giving, please consider giving a gift to Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio so that this is a gift that not only you can enjoy for the long term, but also be able to share with other people. Okay, moving along here. Boy, we are. We are like all over the board here. Um, th- today's edition, none of the breaks are going to make any sense. It's it's just sheer pandemonium as I th- try to throw in a bunch of stuff for my final podcast before Christmas because you know it's 
you know, that's how I operate here. It's how I, uh, it's how I roll. But uh, you know what? I didn't want to do today's edition of Fighting for the Faith without hearing from William Tapley. So with that in mind, I just wanted to, you know, play this. Right? Come on, everybody. you got to sing along. Wave your hand in the air. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. <sighs> it just brings joy to my heart every time I get to play that. <laughs> now, sadly... Uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. Still haven't figured out who he's co-profiting with, but um, maybe it's Mary. Um, anyway, um, I, I dug deep into his archives to <laughs> find a a classic Revelation Unraveled to share with you. And so with that in mind, I would like to share with you the Revelation Unraveled from December 28th, one year ago, uh, 2009, uh, entitled, My Prophecy Videos Are Banned from a Catholic Website. Here we go. Here is William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. Over the past several weeks, I have been uploading videos to a different site called Gloria TV, and they claim to be a Catholic video program. I was almost immediately attacked by four antagonists who also upload videos on that site. Now, I am used to being called a false prophet and all other kinds of insults, but these four antagonists must have made at least 200 comments on my videos. However, since they were not able to respond to my answers, they evidently went to Gloria TV management it got me banned. Yeah, no, I just have a question. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this is a sad, sad tale of of religious persecution from within. I mean, here we've got uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times, you know, doing what any good Catholic uh, co-prophet of the end times would do and uh, uploading his videos to a Catholic website and they were all banned and taken down and by fellow Catholics. Now, this kind of begs the question, um, Mr. Tapley, did you show them from the clear teaching of the Word of God that what you were saying in your videos is in keeping with what God has revealed in His Word? And I'm just curious, because I don't really think that's a major motif with you, but let's, let's continue. All of my videos were removed from Gloria TV this past weekend. Now what these four uploaders objected to was the fact that I backed up my claims 
with direct quotes from the Blessed Mother's prophecies at La Salette. You, you, you what? <clears throat> did, did, <clears throat> you, you backed up your videos with direct quotes from the Blessed Mother from, from, from La, La Salette? That's not found in the Magnificat, is it? And from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Let's look at the first of these, when the Blessed Mother appeared to two shepherd children at La Salette, France. Okay, now uh, notice, um, <clears throat> poor William Tapley, he actually looks kind of sad and downtrodden here about the fact that his videos were removed from a Catholic website. So he's not going to the Bible, he's going to a, a so-called Marian apparition in La Salette in order to back up the claims of his Video. Hmm. The Blessed Mother told the children that Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. Now, my four objectors did not like this passage, but nonetheless, it is the truth. As I have been saying, I think Luther would agree all along in my videos. The seat of the beast will move from Moscow to the city of Rome. This is also prophesied in Revelation when the holy city which is not Jerusalem, but which is Rome, will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles for 42 months. Huh? Now the Blessed Mother continued at La Salette. It is time the sun is darkening. Only faith will survive. She did not say that the Catholic Church would survive. This is extremely important, and it is backed up by the Catechism of the Catholic Church itself. Now the Catechism of the Catholic Church itself says... In paragraph 675, before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. Yeah, that's what Jesus taught. I agree with you, William. Ah, I'm agreeing with William Tapley. Ah! And in paragraph 677, the church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover, when she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. Again, I think Revelation and the writings of the Apostle Paul and the prophecies of Jesus um, about the end times. Well, I... Okay, what is going on here? I... I don't know about the La Salette stuff, but what the, the summary here in the Catholic Catechism, this actually happens to coincide with biblical prophecy. Strange. Now, my four antagonists on Gloria TV did not want to accept what the church itself is saying about its own destruction. But this is critical information, not just for Catholics, but for Protestants as well. We need to know that the church is going to be taken over by the Antichrist and that the false prophet will undoubtedly be a high-ranking Catholic prelate. Remember... <laughs> Have you been ta- <laughs> have you been talking to Walt, uh, Walt, uh, Martin Luther? Wow. <laughs> okay, this is different. Hmm. You know, do you remember the episode of Finding for the Faith where I found myself agreeing with Benny Hinn? I'm having that same sinking feeling where I'm going. Yeah, this is um. Hmm. Interesting. Let's continue. Remember in the Book of Revelation that it is the false prophet who okays the mark of the beast, not the Antichrist. 
Now, one of the arguments that my four antagonists used to claim that I was a false prophet was paragraph 66 of the Catechism. The Christian economy, therefore, since it is the new and definitive covenant, will never pass away. No new public revelation is to be expected before the glorious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, <clears throat> William? Um, yeah, listen, um, don't you think that paragraph 66 there of the Catholic Catechism kind of rules out the La Salette Marian apparition message thing? You know, I just... Hmm. I mean, th- I mean that paragraph here almost sounds like it's arguing for sola scriptura. Yeah, you know, we we trust what the Bible says. Now, I agreed with that, and I do not make prophecies. I am a co-prophet, and I have never objected. Uh, uh, who are you co-profiting with? Objected to this paragraph from the Catholic Catechism. But now, the rest of this paragraph, my four antagonists would not agree with. Paragraph 66 continues, Yet even if revelation is already complete, it has not been made completely explicit. In other words, revelation must be explained. It remains for Christian faith gradually to grasp the full significance over the course of the centuries. Notice the Catholic Catechism itself says that the Christian faith, not just the Catholic faith, must do the exegesis. My four antagonists would not accept what the catechism itself is saying. They refuse that any Protestant could understand Revelation and explain it. This is false. For example... Well, that's awful nice of you, William. I appreciate the... Yeah, <clears throat> yeah by the way, since uh, William Tapley does say that um, <clears throat> Protestants are going to get raptured, if you Catholics uh, want to avoid the whole having to run to the desert thing, you know, join, the, join Lutheranism and, you know, we'll get raptured, apparently. When Darby proclaimed the doctrine of the rapture, he was much closer than people like Tim Stables or Scott Hahn today who deny the rapture. There are many false prophets in the Catholic Church, just as there are false Protestant prophets. You need a lot of wisdom and understanding to separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, yeah, and you need, to, you need to read your Bible. So now here is a list of the four people who upload videos at Gloria TV who got me banned from that video site. Alfiero Pirani, Reverend 3VS21, Kay Farley, and Alicia9821. They had a big problem with my videos because they could not answer the Blessed Mother's true prophecy at La Salette yeah, but didn't you just read a paragraph that said that there would be no new public revelation? Yeah, never mind. Or the Catechism of the Catholic Church. They do not know how to fight fair. Even though they had an advantage of four against one, that was not enough. I told them to, that they needed reinforcements. If you go to the Gloria TV site and do a search for Third Eagle Books... You, apparently, the third eagle is like a prophecy ninja master. You'll find videos attacking me by these antagonists, but you won't find any videos allowed by me to defend myself. Kay Farley, for example, has a video called Have a Scary Little Christmas. He says that it is dedicated to third eagle books. Don't buy into his anti-Catholic false prophecy. That is a big lie, Kay Farley, and you know it.
you could not answer the Blessed Mother and you could not answer the Catechism. If you could win a fair fight... Can't answer the Blessed Mother and you can't answer the Catechism. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got to go back to the Bible. Um, yeah, otherwise, just confusion reigns, don't you think? You would let me post videos defending myself, but you cannot win on a level playing field. The same with Alicia9821. He has a video which he reposted from YouTube, and he calls it False Theology Revealed. Come on, Alicia, is this fair? You put up a video attacking me, but you won't allow any of my videos defending myself? Come on, guys, did you ever play sports? Can you imagine a basketball game where one team can shoot at the basket and the other team can't? How about a prize fight and one boxer has to have his hands tied behind his back? So in conclusion, Fowley and Alicia, if this were not such a serious matter, that is the destruction of the Catholic Church, I would not care one whit whether you ban me from Gloria TV or not. You know, and I know, the only way you can win is to ban me and put up attack videos of your own. I hope you aren't crowing to people that you finally got Third Eagle books thrown off Gloria TV. All that shows is the weakness of your arguments. Well, there you go. Apparently, uh, the Third Eagle, he can out-argue any of those folks at Gloria TV, but, you know, he resorts to uh, the revel the revelations of the Virgin Mary, the Catholic... Yeah, <clears throat> yeah ultimately... Any summary of the truth, any summary of biblical doctrine is only worth its salt in so much as it correctly reflects what God's, God has revealed in his word, plain and simple. And so when, we, when, when somebody puts out a position and they're arguing from extra biblical content, yeah, that's problematic at best problematic at best. And you think, well, well Rosebro, you, you have a Luther's small catechism. Yeah, I know. And I don't say that Luther's small catechism is on level with God's Word. I do think that it correctly summarizes the primary doctrines and teachings of God's Word and the Christian faith. But it's only, its value is only good in its, in, its un, in its ability to correctly summarize what God has taught in His Word. If the catechism runs afoul of God's Word, the catechism goes. If the catechism it runs afoul of what God has truly revealed, then you go to the Scriptures. Over and again, people want to argue opinions, want to argue from extra-biblical material, from their own experiences, from their feelings, from the uh, appearances of the Blessed Virgin Mary at La Salette, you know. God has revealed all that is necessary for good works, faith, repentance, the forgiveness of sins, and uh, and and how to live the Christian life in his word and to warn us about what is coming and to assure us and comfort us through persecution and time of trouble. It's all found in God's word. God's Word. If you run afoul of what God's Word teaches, the problem is not with God's Word. The problem is 
with you. All right, we're going to take our second break. When we come back, we're going to uh, do a Patricia King segment. So if you would like to uh, email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack, or their cheese great gift basket, or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We'll get to our sermon review on the movie Elf shortly. I want to get old Patricia King in here first. Yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. I have a strong constitution. Yeah, I can take hours and hours and hours upon hours of heresy. It doesn't affect me all that much. <clears throat> Let's, <laughs> here we go. Ah, yes. Have you all seen those uh, Microsoft 7 commercials, Windows 7 uh, to the cloud? Yeah, apparently this has motivated Patricia King to um, come up with her own video that talks about, well, the cloud. Here, let's, <clears throat> let's tune in to Patricia King. In the world today, there's a term called the cloud, and it's referring to a communication portal where um, there's a transmission. You mean the internet? Of bandwidth and all that kind of stuff that gets the messages out through the internet to the nation. It's called yeah, the cloud. Yeah, and yeah. It's funny because xpmedia.com. That's it. It exists on the cloud. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And um, as I was pre- in fact, most of the people seeing this video would have to be familiar somewhat with the internet, otherwise known as the cloud, in order to hear this particular or see this particular video, don't you? you know. Preparing uh, for this clip, the Lord specifically put on my heart. The what? Hmm. Here we go. Extra biblical revelation again. To talk about His cloud, the cloud of His glory, the cloud of His presence. The- wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. You, you're going from the internet to the cloud of God's glory. By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, here's audio from uh, a uh, Microsoft Windows 7 commercial that's airing right now on television. Here we go. Hey, Dad. Hey, son. Hey, what's up, Grandpa? How did Jesse like his present? Well, Dad, you know, he... Uh... Dad, why don't you uh, show him that video you shot? Well, why don't we all watch it when we're together? To the cloud. The what? There, there it was. To the cloud. Oh, well, look at you. Oh yeah. Hit and play now. Just look at poor granddaddy got you. I'm worried about that boy. To the cloud with Windows Live to create and share anywhere. Anyway, so we go from the cloud to the glory cloud. Okay. Word is full of examples of where God has encountered his people through the cloud, and it's, it's, it's way beyond. It is a communication portal, too. Uh, what? The glory? The Oh, man. You know, I think about, like, you know, well, there's some truth to this. I mean, go to, you know, Exodus chapter, what is it, 20, where God gives the Ten Commandments. we got peals of thunder in the cloud of God's glory. 
looking like the top of Mount Sinai was about ready to blow up. Yeah, it's a communication portal. So if <laughs> if you see that communication portal in your neighborhood, you might want to run because it has a tendency to freak the neighbors out. But it's not just a communication portal for bandwidth or whatever. It's for God. It's, it's as God himself communicates in presence. And there's been many times when I have felt the glory of the Lord, the cloud of the Lord's presence. In fact, what does it feel like? Because, you know, when I read in Exodus, I mean, God's glory cloud was accompanied with flashes of lightning and thunder. And so does it feel like getting, you know, electrocuted by lightning? I can feel it really strongly right now. Uh, just before I was preparing for the clip, I was just thinking about the cloud, and I started to feel the presence. Maybe, no, maybe, <clears throat> Patricia, I think you may be suffering from cloudy thinking. Of God, I feel him very, very strong right now. In fact, as we continue to share, you might actually either feel or or see the cloud. There have been times. All right, hang on, looking around. Yeah, nope, not seeing nothing. Let me see if I feel anything. Yeah, nope, not feeling anything either. Man, my cloud must be broken. It's when I've been in meetings where I've seen the cloud of the glory of the Lord with my eyes wide open. I've seen, you know, the white mist or colored clouds or just... Did you go and see an eye doctor for that? That thick um, cloud-like presence of the Lord. And it's biblical. You know, sometimes people will, you know, make fun of you or whatever. Okay, yeah, i got to point something out here. <clears throat> yes, it's... Biblical. Okay, yes, the glory cloud is mentioned in the Bible. That doesn't mean that it's prescriptive that everybody can experience or that we can expect that that everybody today, anybody today, will experience it. You know, because that when God's glory cloud showed up, that was you know those, those rare times that we see or hear about it. Well, they're exactly that. They're really, 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 really rare. Yeah, and uh, and nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can experience here on earth in this life God's glory cloud. It doesn't promise you that. <sighs> yeah, this is just a formula for subjectivity again. Yeah, what's where we're off the Bible and now we're into the ramblings of Patricia King and she says, "Well, it's you know, it's uh it's it's biblical." Yeah. You know, by the way, um the the female name Delilah that's biblical too but I probably wouldn't want to name my daughter that you, you understand what I'm saying it just because yeah what but it's biblical let's continue make fun of you or whatever or, you know put you down for talking spiritual terminology like that but this is biblical terminology and God wants you to experience his cloud. Let's just look at a few examples of this within the Word. Yeah, if you're going to open up the Bible, show me that passage where it says that God wants me to experience the glory cloud. Where does the Bible say that? Where has God revealed that in his Word? Need a clear verse, please, Patricia? Let's continue. To experience his cloud. Let's just look at a few examples of this within the Word. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, um, it talks about, starting in verse 11, where the priests came together in unison and where the trumpeters and the singers, they all came together. Yeah, and where does it say in Second Chronicles 5 that God wants me to experience the glory cloud? Where does it say that in the text? And um, they said in verse 13, 
They praised him, saying, He indeed is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And as they were proclaiming that, it says, Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. It says it right there. Yes, it does. It totally does say that right there. And notice that uh, I think Second Chronicles 5, if I am not mistaken. Hang on a second here. Um, is that not referring to the dedication of Solomon's temple? Yeah, see, um, yes, I just looked it up right here. Yes, yeah, see, that it says that the glory cloud filled Solomon's temple. Temple. I don't think the glory cloud was seen in Israel from the time of Mount Sinai or the times of Moses and Joshua until, you know, the dedication of the temple. Yeah, so yeah, it did say that the glory cloud filled the temple of the Lord there. That would be Solomon's temple on the day that they had it dedicated. God showed up. Uh, but nowhere in Second Chronicles 5 does it say that God wants me to experience the glory cloud. I mean... Seriously, I mean, this. let me give you an, a, a similar argument that's just as silly. Okay, the Bible. Did you know in the Bible it, it, it talks about the Valley of the Dry Bones? Yeah, it does. You see, the prophet Ezekiel, uh, he was taken by God to the Valley of the Dry Bones. See, the Valley of the Dry Bones, it's biblical. And... <clears throat> Because it's in the Bible, that means that God wants you to experience the Valley of the Dry Bones too. You see, so um, you know if you you know if you're not experiencing the Valley of the Dry Bones, if you're not having that miraculous God encounter in the Valley of the Dry Bones, then well, then you're missing out. You're just not because it's biblical. Let's continue. So the Lord was filled with a cloud. It says that right there, the house was filled with a cloud. It's not talking about a rain cloud. And they didn't even have the cyber cloud back then. This was the cloud of the glory of the Lord. And this same cloud visits the people of God now and might be visiting you even as you're listening to this clip. And uh, Really, where in the Bible does it say that this cloud that filled the temple of Solomon is visiting people right now? I mean... If the cloud shows up at my door, will it ring the doorbell and ask to come in for dinner? I mean, what do you serve a cloud? Watching it. And it says that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So it's saying that there is this cloud that that carries the glory of it. You know, in the natural uh, clouds carry water droplets, but the cloud of the Lord carries his glory. What is his glory? It's the fullness of who he is. It's his goodness. It's his, it's his splendor. It's his abundance. When you get visited by the cloud, which I can feel all around me right now, I can feel it. You know what's funny, Patricia? I, you say you feel it. I'm, hang on. I'm looking at the video here. Let me go into um, into full screen mode on this video here. You know, I can see you clear as a bell, Patricia. Not, I'm not seeing any cloud in there. But when that cloud visits, it's his goodness that visits you. It's his presence that visits you. In this case, the cloud got so heavy that the weight of it was was strong enough to bring them to a place where they couldn't even stand. Yeah, you know, by the way, let me give you another argument that's just like this one. I mean, because this, this is what she's doing with the Bible here. She says she's feeling the, the cloud. 
Yet the clear passages of the Scripture say nothing about God wanting you to experience this cloud. No promises in the Bible that you will experience the cloud. Um, Let me give you an example of this type of argument and why it completely falls flat. Did you know that in the Bible... It talks about parting bodies of water. It's true. In the book of Exodus, we read how the Red Sea was parted by the power of God. And not only that, when 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 uh, when Israel was getting ready to enter Israel and they crossed the Jordan, God parted the waters of the Jordan at that time. And see, and then there's another story. I think it was Elijah or Elisha parted the 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 Jordan River also and walked on dry ground on dry ground. And so you see, because it's mentioned three times in the Bible. See, it's biblical. God wants you to experience water partings. So if you're if you if you know and it starts small like um I would recommend maybe a, a a a mop bucket you know and put your finger in it and 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 ask you know, cuz God wants you to experience water parting stick your finger in there and and pray that God will 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 cause his miraculous water partings to occur first in the bucket and then when as you grow stronger in your faith you can move up to bathtubs and then to maybe swimming pools and actually, I go bathtub first, then like jacuzzis, then all the way up to like, you know, swimming pools. And then after you've experienced these water partings, then you can experience, you, you could try this out on like a river or a lake or like, you know, your local pond or something like that. Because it's in the Bible, it's biblical. Water partings are in the Bible. You see the problem with this argument? I've had that experience. I've, I've, I've been in that kind of encounter, and maybe you have too. I think the only reason why I'm not in it right now is because God needs me to still sit on this stool and share this word with you. But I can feel... Oh, yeah. Could you imagine how we would have been robbed if you had fallen off this stool because the glory hit you so hard? His presence so strong. His glory is here. The cloud is all around me. I don't see nothing. I can feel it. But I don't see it. How would you? What's a cloud feel like? Cold, misty. We have actually actual video clips on xpmedia.com where you can see the visible cloud of the Lord in the video. You can actually see see it in the photography. How do you know what's the Lord and not the you know the guy from downstairs? See. Let's look at another example. Oh, yeah, please, because the first one you gave us didn't say that God wants us to experience this cloud. You just read about the cloud and made a claim that's not in the text. Turn with me to Luke 9 if you have your Bible. If not, write it down and look it up later. But in verse um, 34, you know, this is on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John were there with Jesus. And he was, Jesus was having this amazing encounter. Elijah and Moses showed up and they were talking to him about, you know, his... his yeah, th- that was all about Jesus and his glory being revealed there for a second. Where does it say that God, that God wants us to experience that? Hmm? And I don't recall a cloud. Well, maybe there is. Let's his work on the cross and Peter, James, and John were in the midst of all that and um and it it says that while peter was saying some ridiculous thing he kind of got into his own little wiring there and started saying some things that were absurd but it says as he was saying this a cloud formed and began oh yeah yeah okay there it is but where does it say that god wants us to experience that hmm and to overshadow them 
that cloud was the cloud of the glory of the Lord. It came to discipline Peter because Peter had perceived something in his... Really, it came to discipline Peter? That, but all the texts that talk about the Mount of Transfiguration make it clear that Peter wasn't being disciplined. It's that God the Father spoke from the cloud and said, this is my son, listen to him. Own flesh understanding. And God wanted him to see it truly through the eyes of the glory. So he overshadowed him with a cloud. And it says, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I believe this particular cloud was a demonstration of the fear of the Lord. It was a manifestation of the glory of that aspect of God, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And so it brought Peter and the disciples back into alignment. Uh, Yeah, where in the text does it say that it brought him back into alignment? And it says, and then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. When the cloud of the glory comes, it'll point you to Jesus Christ. You know, signs and wonders, that's what they're all about. It's not so that you can just say, woohoo, a sign, a wonder, a cloud. It's to point you to Jesus Christ. That's what everything. In the- and how do they do that again? When you're not teaching the Bible correctly, how does that The kingdom is about. So here we see another cloud showing up. Here's another one. Oh, please tell me more. By the way, you know, there's another Bible story. Did you know that there's a Bible story where a donkey spoke to a person? Um, Yeah, it's 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 biblical. So, I mean, have you experienced uh, talking donkeys? Yeah, if you haven't, it's in the Bible. Acts uh, chapter one. Um, In verse 9, it says, And after Jesus had said these things, he was lifted up, he got lifted up into the air while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And um, so there was Jesus himself, as he was ascending into heaven, ascended into the cloud of the glory of the Lord. You, You do know that there are clouds in the sky, right, Patricia? Talking about a rain cloud, beloved. This is the cloud of the glory of the Lord. There's so many examples in the scripture. You know, um, in in the Old Testament. Yeah, can you give me one where it says God wants us to experience that, that this is somehow normative for Christians? It says that as Israel was going through the wilderness, that they were led by a a cloud by day. It was the glory. Of- yeah, it was a pillar of fire by night. Why aren't you talking about the pillar of fire of the Lord, huh? The Lord. He appeared to them as a cloud, and he led them. That glory cloud led them. Well- and where does it say that God wants to lead us using a glory cloud? Where does it say that? Just merely citing a story. By the way, did you know that in the Bible— it talks about a man being swallowed by a fish and staying in the belly of the fish for three days. Have you had a belly fish experience? God wants you to have one, apparently, because it's in the Bible. When the cloud of the glory comes and visits you, it's to lead you into an assignment or lead you into insight into Jesus. The cloud of the glory of the Lord led them by day and a pillar of fire by night. These are all manifestations of the glory. We have seen the, the cloud of the glory and experience. I, why do I feel like that Patricia King is truly exemplifying the theology of glory rather than the theology of the cross? Cloud of the glory often. And, you know, I don't think it should be that 
abnormal for believers to experience. Well, that's great that you think that, but where in the Bible does it say that this is normal for believers? Where? Things like this. Part of my mandate is to to prophesy to the body that this this is a a revolution of spirituality that we were living in, that we would get back. Oh, I think it's a revolution, all right, but those are generally rebellions. Yeah, think about it. To like in the Bible days, it says in the Bible that that the latter glory of the house will be greater than the former, and everything that we see recorded that will be talking about Jesus. As far as past history of the church and what others have experienced in the past is former glory. And it says that the latter glory will be greater. That doesn't mean that you're going to be led by a glory cloud. I mean, how do you jump that canyon, Evil Knievel? Come on. (sighs) But we need to at least embrace what's in the word. I embrace what's in the word, Patricia. I don't find anywhere in the word does it say the glory cloud is normative for Christians today. You're just making that up. For this hour. And go after God, saying, God, I want all that you are and all that you have. I want to be a supernatural being. I want to stand and... It's all about me. God, I want to be a supernatural being. I want to, I want to, I want to... In your supernatural presence and embrace the fullness of who you are. Yeah, but where does God promise to give you this? And what I've found is when I've hungered for more of God in these ways, he has given me more of himself. When I've hungered to, to touch his glory, to experience him, he's given me more of him. And sometimes I just have to think about him and I can feel his presence and just like today i was here we go more subjectivity just thinking about the glory cloud and all of a sudden i get this this wave of the glory that is tangible to me i can feel him Uh, yeah again how do i know that you're just not having low blood sugar patricia come on the bible doesn't promise us this i love it i don't apologize for it and neither should you if it's in the Word, if it's of God. Yeah, you know, Balaam's donkey talking, it's in the Word, the, the um, Valley of the Dry Bones, it's in the Word. Um, you know, water separation miracles, it's in the Word. If you're not experiencing that, well, God apparently wants you to have all that because it's in the Word, right? Embrace it, desire it, and grow in it. It's- <sighs> well, that's the end of the video. All right. Yeah, moving along. Wow, that's just crazy. It's um, <clears throat> sermon review time, and um, yeah, when was the last time you heard a sermon on <clears throat> the movie Elf? From the Pirate Christian Radio Sermon Archives, I think I have the world's largest collection of sermons in the world. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. The name of the sermon is God at the Movies. Elf. Yeah, the pastor is Pastor Rick Schertz, S-C-H-U-R-T-Z, and uh, yeah, 
I don't know what else to say. I haven't heard this one all the way through, so I don't know how it ends. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to ruin the movie for you, you know. <clears throat> yeah, let me just turn off this music. So without any further ado, here is uh, God at uh, Christmas. Sorry, Christmas at the movies. Elf. Yeah, because, you know, Elf is so biblical. Oh, Merry Christmas. How are we doing this morning? Great, I think. Yeah. All right. All right. Good, good, good. Well, before we dive into the rich spiritual lessons we can glean from Elf, um, I want to invite you for a moment into my world. Uh, every now and then I get questions from some. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Pastor uh, Rick, um, I think we're you're starting off on the wrong foot here. Um, yeah, first of all, the movie Elf is not found in the Bible. And taking me us into your world, yeah, you know, you're supposed to, as a pastor, be bringing us into the the kingdom of God. Two completely different places, by the way. At, you know, look it up on a map. Some of you, not very often, but every now and then, about how we create these series and write messages and uh, what it's like participating on a teaching team, those kinds of things. And let me say that like 90% of the time participating on a teaching team is, is a really great thing. Uh, previous to Gateway, I was on staff at another church, a much smaller church than Gateway. And I was in a role where I had to teach every Sunday. And that was a, a heavy weight to carry. Uh, teaching teams are a good thing. 10% of the time, though, it can present some challenges. Like, for example... Uh, let's say you're preparing a message on, oh, I don't know, a movie on, let's say, Elf, let's say. And um, let's say you are laboring. I mean laboring to find anything of spiritual value in this movie. And then, let's say, another person on the... Yeah, laboring would be a bright way to put it. But, you know, here's the deal. i got to admit, um, <clears throat> the one time I watched a few minutes of the movie Elf, um, the Bible and God were like the farthest thing from my mind. I was thinking, man, this is just stupid. Um, yeah, I don't normally look for God in Will Ferrell comedies. I just... On the team, gets to teach from something, out. I'm just speaking hypothetically, something like a Christmas carol, right? And... <laughs> And, and you, you look at that and you say, that, that guy, he's teaching on, you know, he's got the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. And you look at that and go, there's like a billion sermons you could draw from the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. And you think to yourself, I get elf. Like, who runs this place, right? I mean, you, you, you wonder. Now, I'm not bitter. I'm, I'm just... That's a great question. Yeah. Who would be running a church, you know, and want people to preach on the movie Elf? Speaking hypothetically, but... Um, <laughs> Then let's say you're working on Elf, and, and you're working hard, and you finally get a direction, right? You're just, oh, thank you, God, I've got a direction, and you've got this great message brewing on Elf. But then, hypothetically speaking, you go and you sit through that other message where that other person teaches on a Christmas carol. We could have taught on like a billion different things, but his main point is the very point you chose for your Elf message, right? <laughs> you know, it can be a little frustrating, Hypothetically speaking, you know, those things happen. No worries. So um, I don't know uh, uh, if they announce it at South Campus, but we announced here that in a couple weeks, John 
is going to be teaching from uh, 2012 uh, series, Will the World Really End? Now, if you're new here, you need to know we don't always teach from movies, okay? That's just something we're doing right now. We kind of get into this thing. But a lot of people are talking about the end of the world in this 2012 movie that's out. So John right now is working very, very hard digging into the Scripture. And what's the Scripture say about the end of the world? That's a difficult, complicated thing to do in Scripture. So he's working real hard on it, which triggered an idea for me. Um, I sure hope this doesn't mess John up. My message today is subtitled, Elf, the End of the World. So with that, let's, let's dig in. All right, so Buddy's different. Uh, he's this, this different deal. And if you've seen the movie, uh, you know that not only does he look different, not only does he act different, but Buddy's not able to do the things that elves are able to do. And this breeds insecurity in Buddy, which leads to this conversation with his adopted father. You're really not an elf, Buddy. Uh, you're actually a human. If you feel different than the rest of us, Buddy, there's a reason for that. You are different than the rest of us. Uh, not bad, buddy. You're just different. You don't come from the DNA of an elf. You come from the DNA of a human. Your biological dad lives in a magical place called New York City. A couple of things from that clip I want you to notice. Two important statements. They're actually quite profound. Uh, Buddy's dad is on the naughty list. Oh, man. Okay, this is hurting already. We're, you're really giving us a synopsis of the movie Elf, and you said the words, some, there's something really profound in this movie? <sighs> to which Santa gives definition to, listen, he says to Buddy, some people, they just forget what's important in life. That's an interesting definition of the naughty list. Then a second thing that is said to Buddy, he says, maybe, maybe he just needs some Christmas spirit, some Christmas cheer. Maybe that'll help him understand and remember what it is that's important in life. And Buddy says to him, well, I'm good at that. To which Santa says, I know you are. Buddy may not be good at making toys. There are some things he's not good at, but one thing he definitely is good at is helping people rediscover what's truly important in life. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about this with me. Uh, you're a leader, and let's say as a leader you've been tasked with a mission, and this mission is very simply to help people remember what it is that's important in life. You're, you're to go out and help people do that. Just help people remember what's important in life. That's all you're supposed to do. Now, if you are that leader, what kind of team do you assemble? Who, who do you want on your team to help people remember what it is that's important in life? Now, our common methodology when we're in a, in a team building phase is we look for the most talented, gifted, competent people on the planet, right? And we corral those people and we envision them for our mission and we, and we send them out because they're, they're talented and, and they're competent and, and they're able to do this. They're, they're able to get it done. If I'm an NFL coach, that's what I do. I, I want the most talented team available. Now, let's say, though, that I, I don't just want to win games. I want to help people remember what's truly important in life. Would I then assemble 
the most talented, competent, gifted group of people I can find? Is that what I would do? Would that be my methodology? Or might I do something a little bit different? Who's on your team? Who do you pick? Do you pick high-powered business people if, let's say, you weren't trying to change the whole world? Let's just say you're trying to change New York City. Just, just a sliver of the world. Do you choose high-powered business people or, or, or gifted attorneys or, or writers and musicians? And let me say maybe, maybe you do that because talent does matter. But let's be honest. New York City is teeming with talent. There's talent all over the place. I'm not sure that a talented person or a talented team is going to get the attention of New Yorkers because talent is everywhere there. If you want to get New Yorkers' attention, what if you did something different? What if you didn't attempt to gather a team of the world's most talented people? What if you sent someone who had a different way of doing things, a different way of living, who's living by a different system with different values? What might that do? What might happen, for example, if you sent Buddy the Elf? Oh, man. So you're drawing life applications now from the storyline to the movie Elf. And, um, uh, Rick, I'm having a hard, where, what does any of this have to do with our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ? What does anything have to do with our great God and King being born in a manger? You know, (sighs) to New York City. But he's at a place, is he not? You might say he's a sheep among wolves. And I realize I might be, uh, you know, massaging this a little bit, and it might seem a little bit odd, but I... Just a smidge. Yeah, you're just massaging this, just, you know, just a little. (sighs) I'm going to... I'm going to make a connection here. Uh, Will Ferrell in an elf movie might be an odd place to discover deep spiritual truths, but I have to confess that in my own reflections on this, it gave me a fresh picture of what God has done through Christ and what, what God's mission has been and what he has sought to come. <laughs> Boy, I didn't see that one coming. So, so Buddy the Elf is the Christ figure in the movie. <laughs> Accomplish. What does it say about God when we consider his approach? God looks at the world, sees the world, and that the world has forgotten what's truly important in life. On the naughty list, you might say. It's just, and, and being on the naughty list is just simply forgetting what's important in life. He sees, God looks and he sees us swept up into our task. He sees injustice. He sees a, a, oppression. He sees addiction and greed and selfishness. Yeah, our problem is sin, sir. We're all sinful and rebelling against God by nature. Oh man. Yeah, don't don't send me coal for Christmas just because I played this sermon as the last thing I did before I went on vacation. Yeah, just yeah, no. no <laughs> you don't get to do that. God looks at all this and he's effectively given the exact task that I gave you a moment ago. He seeks to assemble a team that's going to go out and help people remember what it is that's truly important in life. Now, his primary methodology in doing that is he wants people to understand who he is. He wants people to understand who he is. And so what's he do? He sends his son in the form of an infant. Now, I I find that fascinating for for a lot of reasons. But, But consider this. 
He could have roared from heaven. He could have rebuked the nations. He could have said, not that way, but this way. And no, instead of, of powering up and flexing his muscles, he sends a person. He sends an infant that grows into a man. He doesn't get the world's attention by expressions of his authority. He gets the world's attention by expressions of his heart. Hear carefully what's said in John's gospel, John 1.18. No one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. Now meditate on that for a moment. Nobody's ever seen God. Nobody really knows what God's like. That is until God reveals himself to us through Christ, and it says something profound about God. When, when he says, I know you don't know all there is to know about me, but if I could tell you some things about me, this right here is how I do it. Take a look at my son. And he sends us an infant that grows into a man, and this, this, uh, this God in the flesh displays for us a totally different way of thinking, a totally different way of living. What does it say about Okay, so the whole point of Jesus was to show us a completely different way of living. I am, go- oh, I am going to lose it. I, I, <laughs> I yeah, uh, huh. God, that when he wants the world to know what he's like, that, that that's his methodology. So apparently, the, yeah, the big thing about the incarnation, God really wanted you to know what he's like. Yeah, that's true, but don't you think it's just a smidge deeper than that? This is what happens when you don't preach on a biblical text and you try to shoehorn in something of a spiritual message into a movie. Good night. That, that to me, is, is counterintuitive. That's not what I would expect God to do. No one's ever seen God, but God wants to make himself known, so he sends an infant that grows into a man that displays the heart of God, the passion of God. I find that fascinating. Yes, believe it or not, I find an interesting parallel to our buddy, Buddy. Let's take a look. Let's find out what happens when a guy like Buddy, innocent, naive, full of heart, what happens when he enters a world like New York City? Buddy, all he wants is love. Yeah, apparently they edited out, you know, the... Love, Walter, all he wants to do is work. Buddy, all he wants to do is experience the richness of relationship. Walter, all he wants to do is protect his company from a $30,000 bath. Two systems that clash against each other. Two worlds collide. Buddy's world collides with Dad's world, and Buddy loses. Toward the end of Christ's life, he said this, John 15, 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's interesting. I thought- oh, yeah, because it's just like how the world hated Buddy. It's... Oh, man. Isn't that fascinating? Why would the world hate Christ? Why would the world be against him? Why would the world reject him? Well, what else do you do with a guy who says things like this? Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Or what do you do with a guy who says, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in, in the synagogues and the streets to be honored by men? Or what do you do with someone who says, don't judge, or you too will be judged? Or how about, how about someone who's, who's sitting in the temple courts and sees a widow put two copper coins in the offering plate, and he says this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. What do you do with a person like that? 
You know, how does that work? This guy's different. He doesn't fit into the current system, the current way of doing things. The world says, take. This guy says, give. Right? The world says, fight. This guy says, forgive. You know, the world says, don't bother me. This guy says, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? Are you forgetting the part about the fact that they crucified Jesus for blasphemy, for claiming to be God? the least of these how can i wrap my arms around the little children and bless them this guy is different than the world system and those two worlds collide collide right one of two things must happen with a guy like that either the system changes or that guy gets spit out of the system and i find that interesting either dad laughs with buddy's song buddy's way of doing things or dad gets buddy thrown out onto the street Go back to Santa land. If the worlds hate you, Christ said, keep in mind it hated me first. I want to make an observation, and I want to do so by looking at the world's most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I want you to hear carefully what it says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's what I want you to notice in that. Common perception is that Christ came... To help us get to heaven, help people on earth get to heaven. And he most certainly did come for that. But I find it interesting that the prayer isn't, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, help us get out of here. It's hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as your will is done in heaven. Christ's prayer wasn't get us to heaven. Christ's prayer was get heaven to earth. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, a a very significant, if not central, part of Christ's mission is to get us to heaven. But I find it fascinating that he's he's very significantly that that's not to be confused with his passion. What do you mean when you say it's to get heaven to earth? What exactly does that mean? Because God's kingdom comes when people repent of their sins and are forgiven because of the shed blood of Christ. And then Christians many times, oftentimes, are persecuted for their faith and trust in Christ. How is that getting heaven to earth, sir? An essential mission of getting heaven to earth. And I have time to flesh all that out this morning, but I want you to meditate on that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, not get us out of here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, get heaven down to we are. Bring that here. Now, he came to bring a kingdom. Early followers of Christ, they anticipated this. They were waiting for a kingdom come. And and, and they knew that from the Old Testament prophecy. So they were looking for a Messiah figure to come and set things straight. They believed, though, that this kingdom, the kingdom the Messiah would usher in, they believed that the purpose of this kingdom would be to get Rome out of Israel. They wanted, they wanted to set up a kingdom, a political kingdom, and they wanted, wanted Rome to be done away with. Look at this, this move Christ makes in his ministry. Directly after he worked the miracle of feeding the 5,000, we read this, John six fifteen. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. So Christ knows that they have Messiah-like expectations on him, and he understands that, even embraces that, but his picture of it is different than their picture. They want a a, a kingdom set up to to get rid of Rome, and Christ knows that, knows they're going to make him king by force, and so he slips off into the crowd, because that's not what, what he's about. Consider another scene. Christ is in the process of being arrested. The authorities come after him. He willingly gives himself up. 
And this happens. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. I find that interesting. Peter's ready to fight as as the world fights. The world fights with sword. Peter's going to fight with swords. Peter believes he's bringing a kingdom. Christ believes he's bringing in a kingdom. But there's something different about this kingdom. It's going to work differently than the kingdoms of this world. So put away your sword, Peter. Then consider this exchange between Pilate and Christ. Not long after he was arrested, they talk about the coming kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this very reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Isn't that interesting? Yes, I'm a king, Pilate. I am a king. That's why I've come into this world. But this kingdom that I'm ushering in is different than your kingdom. If it weren't different than your kingdom, then I wouldn't have told Peter to put away a sword then I wouldn't have slipped off into the crowd. This, this kingdom is, is of a different world, and this kingdom is, is going to infiltrate the world and spread all throughout the world. So thousands of years later in a city called Austin, Texas, a group of people are going to come together and still be talking about this kingdom because this kingdom doesn't work according to the world system. It works according to a new system, a different way of living, a different way of doing things. Now, I find that interesting. Now, years ago, I was in... Con- well, I, you got to admit, he's at least preaching about Jesus now. Somehow we segue from Elf to Jesus, Buddy the Elf. Now, you know, the problem is, is that all of this is kind of disconnected. You know, the te- you know the readings of the text are kind of all over the place. Not sure where he's going to land here. Conversation with a friend, and this friend was asking me questions about my faith. She, uh, uh, by her own profession, uh, didn't follow Christ as I do. And so she wanted to know, though, she was kind of in the world of politics. She was a news reporter. She wanted to know if I viewed my, my faith as basically uh, part of a voting block. Is my faith just a, a way of expressing myself politically? Now, I, I didn't really see this clearly then at that time, and it's taken me years to gain clarity. I don't even have perfect clarity on it right now, because don't get me wrong, I believe our faith does have us express ourselves in all spheres of, of society. I do. But I, I, I knew instinctively that my faith was not primarily about political expression. There was something about that approach that troubled me. And I was bothered in that conversation that I was being associated with, with a movement that's just about political expression in their faith. There's something about that that felt off. And, and like I said, years have passed. But, but since then, here's what I'm convinced of. Uh, when Christ prayed, may your kingdom come, and, and if Christ was convinced that bringing this kingdom into existence was, was about seizing political power, I'm convinced he would have done it then. He, he would have been all over it then. He would have let him make him king. He would have let Peter draw his sword. He would have stood before Pilate and said, I'm here just to get rid of you. Right? But, but that's not what he did. He said, my kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. Right? He had, he had a different approach to him. Christ wasn't interested in establishing worldly power. Christ's approach to change, to bring about a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new kind of kingdom. Christ's approach, in my opinion, looks a whole lot more like Buddy the Elf in New York City than it looks like Peter swinging his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's something different about this Christ character. 
Let's go back to the movie for a moment. I want us to consider the impact that Buddy had on one life of the man who'd forgotten what's truly important. Two lines from that clip got my attention. Here the son said, Buddy cares about everybody. All you care about is yourself. I think that's interesting. Dad has seen enough of Buddy's life to know that that's true. Buddy cares about everybody, Dad. All you care about is yourself. The second line that got my attention is a bit crass. Up yours, Dad says, right? Or put another way, I'm not going to bow to your system anymore. I'm going to live by a different system with a different set of values. I'm going to live by Buddy's system and Buddy's values. He may be odd, but maybe that's exactly what this world needs, Mr. Greenway. Maybe this world needs more people willing to be a little bit odd, a little bit different, or maybe a lot odd or a lot different. Maybe that's what this world needs. Not a, not a group of people who are just going to play by the world system, but a group of people who are going to rock the world system, not by swinging their sword, not by seizing power and authority, but, but by caring about everybody. Because Buddy cares about everybody, Dad. Your system cares about nobody. Maybe that's what this world needs. A moment. So now the uh, the major theme of the movie Elf has been co-opted and stuck and stuck on to the Jesus story in the Bible. Yeah. I want to go I ask what type of team you'd assembled to, to, to take on this critical mission of helping humanity remember what's important in life. And I then suggested that, that God himself took this very task, the task of reminding humanity this is what's important. You know, the Christ said the two most important commands in all the scriptures. Are- Here it comes. This is going to be all law. I knew this was moralistic. Ah, you just it, you feel it because where's the gospel in any of this? It's not it's nowhere to be found. Change the world, live a different way. Da 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 da. It's this is all law, and here comes love God and love your neighbor, which is the total summary of the Mosaic law. This isn't the good news. This is the thing that condemns all of us. Ah. To love God and love people, He came to remind us of what's important in life. Yeah, that makes Jesus the big reminder of the important things. No, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to go to the cross. He was born to die for the sins of the world and to call us to repent of our sins and be forgiven because of his gracious and loving and kind sacrifice on the cross for our sins. (sighs) Among other things. He wanted us to know that. Now, effectively, God God is pulling his team together to send them out in the world to make a difference. And Christ is pointing that team. Listen carefully, though, to what Christ does. Whoa, at the end. whoa, whoa. Backing it up. Backing it up. Beep, beep, beep. Listen again. To love God and love people, he came to remind us of what's important in life, among other things. He wanted us to know that. Now, effectively, God God is pulling his team together to send them out in the world to make a difference. Boy, that's lame. God's pulling his team together to go out into the world to make a difference. Yeah, go and make a difference is not the Great Commission. The commission is go and baptize and make disciples of all nations and teaching them... And Christ is pointing that team. Listen carefully, though, to what Christ does at the end of his life. John twenty twenty one, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending 
you. The father sought to establish a different kind of kingdom, so he sent his son to say to the world, this is what I'm like, not Rome. This is what I'm like. I, I, I live... This is what I'm like, not Rome. Hmm. This sounds like one of those emergent influence themes, the stick it to the Caesar man gospel. This is not the biblical gospel. This is just liberalistic moralism by a different system than this world lives by. You, want, you know what I'm like? I'm like this Christ, this Messiah, who says don't judge and, and give to the needy and, and don't announce it to everybody. Jesus, Gandhi with a beard. Everybody to, to proclaim yourself, to, to be you know, self-grandizing. Don't live like that. That's the world's way. Live humbly, live passionately, serve your neighbor, love the people around you. Live by that system. I sent Christ to do that. And then Christ turns around and says to us, and I send you to do the exact same thing. No, he sent them to be witnesses of his life, death, and resurrection. To teach the, the world everything that he commanded them to say. To proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Not to go out into the world to make a big difference. Now, what's it going to take to bring about the end of the world? And by end of the world, I don't mean the literal end of the world. I will leave that one to John. Um, I mean the end of this world's system, this world's values, this world's preoccupation with position and power. What's it going to take to do that? Hear carefully these... Uh, the last time I read the Bible, what it's really going to take to pull that off is Jesus is going to have to return and judge the living and the dead. And to destroy the current heavens and earth and make a new heavens and a new earth. That's how I read the scripture. These words from 1 Corinthians 13, talking about talent versus love. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift... Here we go, love thing. Love is not the gospel. Love is the summary of the law. It's the thing that condemns you because you don't love. ...of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing... Then goes on from there, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always loves, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You want to bring about the end of the world? This world's system, this world's way. Do you want to bring about the end of the world? Wow. Of doing things, well, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but... I wonder what William Tampley would think about this. Have not love, I do nothing. I get nothing accomplished, because you know what? There are a lot of people in this world who are talented, who are gifted, who are competent. But there aren't many in this world who will go out into this world as sheep among wolves and say, here's the heart of God. Here's the passion of God. How can I serve you? How can I make a difference in your life? How can I be different? How can I display a different kind of system or put in biblical language a different kind of kingdom? Because I want to live in accordance with a different kind of kingdom, and that kingdom's not, not to rival you. Why do I need a crucified and risen Savior for this? Seriously, I mean... I mean, this is just sentiment, basically ecumenical, universalistic. I mean, 
all the religions try to make a difference in love. This is the Dalai Lama's type of religion. This isn't biblical Christianity. This is not the biblical gospel. This is a cheap, cheap saccharine substitute. Well, you, Pilate, not to dethrone you, Rome, not to associate with one political party over another political party. That's not what this is about. This is a different kind of kingdom that beats by a different kind of heart. That, that puts it out there, that says, don't judge, that says, give to the needy, that says, let the little children come to me, that says, put the sword away, that says, I'm going to display for you the heart of God. If God wanted to flex his muscle and declare his authority from heaven, he could do that without us. And I should say, parenthetically, Christ does, our scripture does say there will come a day when that does happen. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's called the great day of God's wrath. Are uh, you going to preach the gospel here? Can we hear at least about the cross, please? Because I don't need a crucified and risen Savior to go out and make a difference in the world. But the most important thing that God wanted to communicate about himself, what he says up front. Oh, please be the gospel. Please be the gospel. Please, please, please. I'm dying here. Can be said through an infant that grows into a man that lives by a different kind of system toward a different kind of kingdom. Well, this week is Christmas. And as odd as it may sound, I hope that this Christmas season, you will think about Buddy the Elf. No, no, please. We've got two minutes left in this sermon and you want the people to think about Buddy the Elf. I'm going to lose it. And I hope that you will think about Buddy the Elf in a way that is a little bit different. That you'll think of this naive, passionate, innocent elf walking around New York City living by a different set of values. So you don't want us to think about God in human flesh. The Virgin Mary. The manger, the star, God come to save his people. No, no, no. You want us to think about a bumbling elf. Oh. But values that to a few become contagious. And my suspicion is that, that those, those living by those values can spread to another and spread to another. Yeah, those living by that, those values. This is all law. Law, law. Not, not even a gospel nugget. ...and spread to another, and my suspicion leans that way because that's what's happened for the better part of 2,000 years. Isn't this, what, isn't this what the Beatles sung about? I mean, seriously. I mean, this reminds me of the Beatles song. Um, hey, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Oh, yeah, here it is. I mean, this is the Beatles gospel, right? Yeah, I think of Buddy the Elf singing this song at Christmas. Don't think of that crucified and risen Lord, the baby come to die on the cross for your sins. No, 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 no. This is what you should be thinking about. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. 
Yeah, it, it also reminds me of the classic um, Coca-Cola commercial that was on television when I was a kid. I, I think I got this one, too. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. Listen, they're making a difference in the world. They must follow the buddy way. Even Coca-Cola preaches this gospel. Wow, what a, why don't you preach a sermon about that commercial? <sighs> that, that this heart of Christ, this message of Christ, this passion of Christ continues to spread from person to person, not through authority, not by flexing our muscles, but by living by a different set of values for a different kind of kingdom. What if we ever increasingly live by these values, by this dis- different season, our system? Law, moralism, no gospel. Under this different kingdom, what if we walked around... What if you actually did your job and actually preached Christ and him crucified for our sins, hmm? Around our own world. What, what if you actually put away the movies and actually biblically handled the text correctly, or handled the biblical text correctly? our own New York City, and we're so delightfully different that, yes, it at times gets us thrown out on the streets, but ever increasingly and more and more, people look at it and in their own sort of way give the world system an up yours and walk the way of Christ and say, I'm not going to live by that system. Yeah, let's give the world system an up yours. Yeah. Praise Jesus. We're going to give the world an up yours. I'm going to live by a different set of values with a different kingdom. Let thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In our own lives. I feel like he's been reading Brian McLaren. In our own neighborhoods, in our own workplaces. That right there is a movement that I want to be a part of. Yeah, that right there is not biblical Christianity, nor is that the movement that Jesus, Jesus started. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of the repentance and forgiveness of sins. It's the kingdom where the king is proclaimed and him crucified. Not the, I'll buy the world a Coke and keep it company, and all you need is love gospel that you're preaching here, sir. This is just warmed over hippie hash that you're, that you're serving at this church. This is not biblical Christianity, and this is not the biblical gospel. Oh. And that was the end of it. <sighs> yes, I'm going to leave you on that note. So, uh, <clears throat> what'd you think? <laughs> yeah, folks, you know that there's a problem. You know that there's a problem when the church that you're, that you're going to is preaching these feel-good, 
warm your heart, buddy the elf type of sermons rather than preaching the hard, cold reality that the scripture teaches, the gospel that we don't even realize that we need until it's properly proclaimed, the good news that Christ came to forgive us of our sins and that he died on the cross to propitiate God's wrath, and he's calling sinners across the world to repent and be forgiven because there is a great and coming day of the of God's wrath. And the only... <laughs> The only way to stand is on your knees on that day. And what's being preached here at Christmas time, nonetheless, Christmas time, no less, is the same kind of sentimental greeting card Beatles theology from the 60s and the early 70s. It's not biblical Christianity. This is just saccharine and theological substitute. Has a little bit of Christ flavor to it. But ultimately, it boils down to moralism, and you don't live up to the standard that this guy preached, and neither does he. God doesn't call us to come and one person at a time make a difference in the world so that we can put an end to the world. No, we're to preach Christ and him crucified for our sins. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. This wasn't a Christmas sermon. And this is what happens when you capitulate to the culture. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means, well, it's a partnership. And we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. If you don't already partner with us financially, will you do so? The way you do it is by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Until next week, just a couple days after Christmas, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy of our great God and Savior, the one who was born in a manger, nursed at the breast of Mary, and died on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>